to another phenomenal and always stellar episode of the Page Turners Podcast. I am your host, Elgin Bailey, and we are continuing our journey. This is season number five, episode number two, number 54. This season, I chose to pick a very important text, and that text is The Revolution Will Not Be Funded. And it's important. Uh, There's so many layers to this, and I'm not going to give a big, broad uh, overview of the text because we just started. This is literally the second episode. The first episode, we did the forward. This particular episode, we're going to read the introduction. And the introduction is going to give us the insight that we need to understand uh, the non-profit industrial complex. And it's really, really important that we grasp this. And sometimes, you know, you read the book and you wanna, you wanna kind of skip the introduction, right? Can't afford to skip the introduction with this one. And this actually might be a two-part introduction because there's so much meat in this joint. Yeah, I uh, did enough housekeeping, right? Uh, so let's dig in. The introduction was written by Andrea Smith. Okay? And the title of the introduction is The Revolution Will Not Be Funded. And I read, In 2004, Incite Women of Color Against Violence learned the hard way that the revolution will not be funded. Insight began in 2000 with the purpose of supporting a movement of feminists of color organizing against all forms of violence from interpersonal to state violence. When we first organized, we were generally funded through individual donations. However, by 2002, we found ourselves increasingly more successful in securing foundation grants to support our work. We took a stand against state funding since we perceived that anti-violence organizations who had state funding had been co-opted. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because this is part of what happens to a lot of grassroots organizations. Start out with much of their funding coming from donations and them putting their collective money in the pot. But slowly, slowly, they begin to be from other places because, again, as we'll see as we read more and more of the book and read more and more of the essays, there's money out there for foundations. There's money out there. 
And there's a lot more money out there from these foundations through grant writing and things along those lines than it is via donations because people would rather, particularly wealthy people, it's very important to understand, wealthy people would rather donate to nonprofits and foundations via instead of individual donations. And you should begin thinking, why is that the case? Why would they rather donate to a foundation, right? A nonprofit instead of directly to the people. Okay. It's very important. Particularly the part where they said, we took a stand against state funding since we perceived that anti-violence organizations who had state funding had been co-opted. Keep that in mind. And I read, it never occurred to us to look at foundation funding in the same way. However, in a trip to India, funded ironically by the Ford Foundation, you're going to hear the Ford Foundation a lot. And I read, we met with many non-funded organizations that criticized us for receiving foundation grants. When we saw that groups with much less access to resources were able to do amazing work without funding, we began to question our reliance on foundation grants. Now, this is in 2000, right? Actually, this, is, this part right here is in 2002. We're in 2021. It ain't too many organizations out here that are not getting some funding from grants and foundations. So within this almost 20 year span, we've seen a, 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 a shape, a metamorphosis of going from dependent largely on individual donations to depending on nonprofits. Okay. And I read, our growing suspicions about foundation grants were confirmed when in February 2004, Insight received an email from the Ford Foundation with the subject line, congratulations, and an offer of a one or two year grant of $100,000 to cover our general operating expenses in response to a grant proposal the Ford Foundation has solicited from us. Excited about the news, we committed to two major projects. They were doing the work. They were digging in. They didn't. They hadn't lost sight of the vision. Right? Pay attention to that. And I read, the Sister Fire Multimedia Tour, which was organized for 2004, and the Third Color of Violence Conference to be held in New Orleans in 2005. Then unexpectedly, on July 30 of 2004. The Ford Foundation sent another letter explaining that it had reversed its decision because of our organization's statement of support for Palestinian liberation struggle. So the Ford Foundation gave them $100,000. They put together these two phenomenal events grassroots work to change lives. But because of their organization's political stance, in supporting the Palestinian liberation struggle, the Ford Foundation reversed that decision. Okay? And I read, 
Apparently, during the board's approval process, a board member decided to investigate and cite further and disapproved of what he or she found on our website. Insight quickly learned from firsthand experience that the lariat the the leader's effects. Yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce that word, so we're gonna skip it. The horrendous effects of foundations can have on radical social justice movements. Very important. However, we also learn that social justice. Ah, come on, computer. Catch up to me. Social justice organizations do not always need the foundation support they think they do. Now, that might be... Okay. And I read, Strapped with a sudden loss of funding, but committed to organizing two major projects, Insight members started raising money through grassroots fundraising, house parties, individual calls, t-shirts, sales, and so on. We were able to quickly raise the money we lost when the Ford Foundation rescinded their grant offer. This story is not an isolated incident of a social justice organization finding itself in a precarious state as a result of foundation funding, specifically a lack thereof. Since the late 1970s, Social justice organizations within the U.S. largely within the 501c3 nonprofit model. This is important. I'm going to go back. Since the late 1970s, social justice organizations within the U.S. have operated largely within 501c3 nonprofit model, in which donations made to an organization are tax deductible in order to avail themselves of foundation grants. So these organizations donate large amounts of money to foundation, uh, to organizations. And it's a tax write-off. It's a tax write-off. Very important. It's one of the reasons why I believe that you see so many uh, celebrities and athletes start foundations. They don't start foundations purely because they want to give back to the community. Nah, it's a tax write-off. And I read, Despite the legacy of grassroots mass movement building we have inherited from the 1960s and 70s, contemporary activists often experience difficulty developing or even imagining structures for organizing outside of this model. At the same time, however, social justice organizations across the country are critically rethinking their investment in the 501c3 system. Funding cuts from foundations affected by the current economic crisis and increased surveillance by the Department of Homeland Security have encouraged social justice organizations to assess opportunities for funding social change that do not rely so heavily upon state structures. The revolution will not be funded. Beyond the nonprofit industrial complex represents a collaborative effort to address these issues, envision new possibilities and models for future organizing. Several key issues are explored. Hold on. pay attention to this because I think this is this is so important these are the key issues 
that the essays within this book address. Okay? Issue number one. How did the 501c3 or nonprofit model develop and for what reasons? How did this model impact the direction of social justice organizing? How has funding from foundations impacted the course of social justice movements? Excuse me. How does 501c3 status impact the relationship of social justice organization to the state and give it opportunities to co-op movements? Are there ways the nonprofit model can be used to support more radical visions for social change? What alternatives to the 501c3 are there for building viable social justice movements in the U.S.? What models for organizing outside the nonprofit, NGO, non-governmental organizations exist outside the U.S. that may help us? This anthology is not primarily concerned with the particular types of nonprofits or foundations, but the nonprofit industrial complex or NPIC to be defined later in the introduction as a whole and the way in which capitalist interests and the state use nonprofits. And these are some of the ways that the state. <laughs> Ooh, this is good. All right. Monitor and control social justice movements. Divert public monies into private hands through foundations. Manage and control dissent in order to make the world safe for capitalism. And that's a big one. Redirect activist energies into a career-based mode of organizing instead of mass-based organizing capable of actually transforming society. Allow corporations to max their exploitive and colonial work practices through philanthropic work. Encourage social movements to model themselves after capitalist structures rather than to challenge them. The revolution will not be funded offers no simple answers to these questions, but hopes to continue a conversation about how to think beyond state-protected models like the nonprofit system for organizing political projects for social change. The contributors are a multi-generational assembly of organizers working inside and outside the nonprofit industrial complex from a variety of even conflicting perspectives. Before assessing these issues, however, we need to understand how nonprofit system became the predominant model within social movements today. Okay. And this is important, man. This is this is where we get the history of the nonprofit system. Stay with me. This is good. And I read. Prior to the Civil War, individuals, not organizations, did most charity work. However, in the face of accelerating industrialization and the accompanying social ills such as increased poverty community breakdown to facilitate the flow of labor and violence local organizations generally headed by the community elites don't miss that 
developed to assist those seen to be deserving of assistance, such as widows and children. These charities focus on individual poverty rather than the poverty on the systemic level. That's one of the critiques we can make of nonprofits, right? That, yes, in they may have a systemic view, a systemic mission, but for a variety of reasons, their mission is not able to be a communal or systemic who using the 70 million dollars left to her by her railroad giant russell sage started the russell sage foundation in 1907 she was followed by rockefeller in 1910 and carnegie by 1911 by 1955 donations from individuals foundation and corporations totaled 7.7 billion dollars Donations from individuals, foundations, and corporations, 1955, totaled $7.7 billion. According to the American Association of Fundraising, Council Trust for Philanthropy, by 1978, that total had grown to $39 billion. In 1998... The last year of available data, and that data might be available now, but the, the, the writing and reading of this book, 1998, the last year of total given, given had risen to $175 billion. Along with the growth in donations came a huge swell in the number of nonprofit organizations. Ah, surprise. In many cases, these foundations served as tax shelters so that corporations could avoid taxes and descendants could receive their inheritance without paying state taxes early on. Many of these organizations employed those who had been part of the charity movement, but unlike their charity movement predecessors, these foundations' purviews would be general rather than specific, and their governance would rely on private, self-perpetuating board of trustees or directors. From their inception, foundations focus on research and dissemination of information designed to cover up social issues in a manner, however, that did not challenge capitalism. For instance, in 1913, Colorado miners went on strike against Colorado Fuel and Iron, an enterprise of which 40% was owned by Rockefeller. Eventually, the strike erupted into open warfare, with the Colorado militia murdering several strikers during the Ludlow Massacre of April 20th, 1914. During that same time, Jeremy Green, the Rockefeller Foundation secretary, identified research and information to quiet social political unrest as foundation priority. The rationale behind this strategy was that while individual workers deserve social relief, organized workers in the form of unions were a threat to society. So the Rockefeller Foundation 
heavily advertised its relief work for individual workers, while at the same time promoting a pro-Rockefeller spin to the massacre. For instance, it sponsored speakers to claim that no massacre had happened and tried to block the publication of reports that were critical of Rockefeller, according to Frederick Grants, who helped run the Rockefeller Foundation. The danger is not the combination of capital. It is not the Mexican situation. It is the labor monopoly. And the danger of the labor monopoly lies in its use of armed force, its organized and deliberate war on society. I told you, man. Peep this, I'm telling you. It only gets better. And I read, even in this earliest stage of foundation development, critics noted the potential danger of large private foundations. In 1916, the U.S. Commission on Industrial... the Walsh Commission filed a report on labor issues with Congress warning that foundations were a grave menace because they concentrated wealth and power in the service of ideology which supported the interests of their capital benefactors. According to Samuel Gumper's testimony in the commission's report, in the effort to undertake to be an all pervading machinery for molding of minds of people in the constant industrial struggle for human betterment. Foundations should be prohibited from exercising their functions either by law or regulation. The Welsh report called on Congress to more strictly regulate foundations, which it did not do, given the state's historic relationship with capital. However, The resulting negative publicity encouraged foundations to fund humanitarians such as universities rather than so that the results such research would be more convincing objectives. During the Great Depression, the societal influence of foundations was curtailed by economic crisis. However, after World War II, particularly with the emergence of the Ford Foundation, founded in 1936, <clears throat> foundations regained prominence and focus on how they could further the interests of U.S.-style democracy. My apologies, family. Foreign Foundation became particularly prominent not only for philanthropic giving, but for its active involvement in trying to engineer social change and shape the development of the social justice movements. This is where it gets really, really good, man. I mean, I, if you follow me on social media, you know I've spoken this gentleman's name a number of times, Okay. A number of times I have mentioned his name, so this won't be very, very surprising. Now, remember, it was founded in 1936. It became, it wasn't about their philanthropic giving, philanthropic giving, 
but for his active involvement in trying to engineer social change and shape the development of social justice movements. For instance, foundations, particularly four, became involved in the civil rights movement, often steering it into more conservative directions, as the essay from Robert L. Allen, the great, late, great Robert L. Allen, author of Black Awakening in Capitalist America, I mean, it's highly recommended. Essay from Robert L. Allen in this collection demonstrates. At the same time, however, this civil rights movement also aroused the ire of the right, particularly in the South, who then called on Congress to more strictly regulate foundations. Right-wing organizations such as the Heritage Foundation claimed that tax dollars were going to subsidize left-wing causes, while on the left, progressives such as Allen were arguing that foundations were pushing social justice movements into a more conservative direction. Into a more conservative direction. What I tell you, man? What I tell you? What I tell you? This book is is something. I'm going to scroll back up because I want to read the purpose of this book one more time so we get an understanding because I don't want anyone to get lost in the fact of what we're doing here. I don't want anybody to think that we're just dumping on this book. I mean, dumping on nonprofits, that's not the purpose. That's not the point of why we're reading it. But I want us to be able to think about why all this is starting. Why all this is happening. Why this took place in the manner in which it did. So let's go ahead and scroll back up, man. Right? Let's scroll back up. Remember this part right here. The revolution will not be funded beyond the nonprofit industrial complex represents a collaborative effort to address these issues and envision new possibilities and models for future organizing several key issues are explored how did the 501c3 or nonprofit model develop and for what reasons how did this model impact the direction of social justice organizing how has funding from foundations impacted the course of social justice movements How does 501c3 status impact the relationship of social justice organizations to the state and give it opportunities to co-op movements? Are there ways the nonprofit model can be used to support more radical visions for social change? What alternatives to 501c3 are there for building viable social justice movements in the U.S.? What models for organizing outside the nonprofit NGO, non-governmental organization model, exist outside the U.S. that may help us? Really, really important that we grasp those things. And as we're listening to this, that we begin to develop questions, develop those questions, right? To, to, to grasp and 
the answers to, and to be able to navigate the, the answers for those questions. It's really, really important, man, that we do that. It's really, really important that we ask questions. Ladies and gentlemen, it's your boy Elgin Bailey, host of the Page Turns Podcast. I thank you for turning into another fire episode, season five, episode number two, number 54. The revolution will not be funded. As always, I want to thank my, the good folks who distribute this phenomenal product, KeystoneDigital.tv. Appreciate you folks. Next time, remember, as always, study and fight. <laughs>